So we're actually going to, uh, I was going to pick it up in verse 11, but I want to read um, all the way back from verse 1 to remind us of what's going on, because this is basically the continuation of, of the first part of chapter 3. So let's, let's go back to verse 1 of Acts chapter 3. It says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw it, saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? The power of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to, be, to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. So now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your, as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back, so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, all and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Lord Jesus, we come before you today, Lord, to hear from your word, God, to be with you and to hear your truth, the truth that you desire for us to speak to stand up and speak like Peter, our, our, fort, our for, forebrother, as he's gone before us and, and laid for us an example for us to follow. God, we pray your spirit would empower us, Lord, 
empower our, our hearts to understand, our minds and our hearts to perceive what you would have for us today. God, speak to us. Stir within us. Teach us. And let this teaching, God, embed itself into our very soul. We love you, Lord with us as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may may have a seat. So, if someone were to ask you, what is your faith all about? Think about that. How would you be able to answer? Think about it. May may write this down on your paper. Write this very thing down. This is your homework. For this week, to make sure that you can answer this question. If someone were to ask you, what is your faith all about? Hey, can I take you out for coffee? Hey, would you mind telling me over lunch? Can you explain to me the Bible? Can you explain to me who Jesus is? Can you explain to me why people have crosses on their churches and why you wear a cross around your neck or three, right? Can you explain this thing to me? Your homework is to make sure that you know how to answer that question. How would you describe that over a meal or over coffee or even in the, in the split second, have a 30 second elevator speech in a sense. Can you articulate your faith in Jesus Christ? Can you explain, can you articulate it? Can you, can you inspire someone by your faith? Can you articulate it? Do people in this world um, believe that the common Christian can actually articulate their faith in a way that they might also consider following Jesus? Do they believe that those actually exist? Or, you know, do people think that faith is just a system of behavior, a morality code to live by and judge and condemn others who don't live by it? I guarantee you that's the other. That's the reason. That's what people believe Christianity is. They believe it's a morality code instituted by a dead guy and most of you don't even know he raised, was raised from the dead. They just thought he died. Or you know, what do they see and perceive our faith to be? Because last, last week, you know, or two weeks ago, <laughs> we talked about the first part of our passage where this man gets healed. And we asked the question, what does it truly mean to be truly human? And we tried to answer that question, and I gave a whole bunch of you know, really freakishly scary, you know, <laughs> semiotics explanations for what's coming up in the future, right? Um, but last week, we, you know, a couple weeks ago, we saw that God restored the man who was lame from birth to, as our passage this morning, you know, today says, to perfect health or to complete wholeness. This is what we are going to be able to see today. This week, we will see God's heart for complete wholeness, not just in body, but in spirit and in truth. We get to see this today. The reason and the power, this is, this, now he's able to speak these things. He's now able to say, okay, God did something amazing. What was that? What happened? And then now Peter gets to do this whole speech to explain the reason and the origin of the power by which this man was healed. And that is to glorify the name of Jesus. That is where we are at today. And that's why it's always a good day to speak truth of God's refreshment and the restoration of all things. Now, 
on the bottom of your sheet, you'll see, so I'm going to, a little bit of, an, of a map here, just a second. So the bottom of your sheets, of your note sheets, so if you haven't got one there by the front door there. But so on, in the temple courts, um, there is, so you, can, you, see, you see kind of a, uh, a map of, of that. And if you remember where the beautiful gate was, so there's the temple courts, but then the inner part is the temple, is the actual temple part. Right, so there, there's it's kind of subdivided into two squares you can see on your map. The one on the outside is the court of the women, and then the other one is the court of the men, and then beyond that is the court of the priests, where they offer all the sacrifice sacrifices. So what's happening today is that this man was has been able to be in the temple courts, but he's never been able to be in the temple. And so the beautiful gate is the entrance into that temple. So he would always sit in the outer temple court, temple courts, begging for people, begging for money for people. So now we see him go in to the temple. So he's entering into the time of prayer with everyone, you know, leaping and praising God. And, and, and then he entered into this time of prayer for the first time he's ever been able to pray in God's presence. And then it says that they you know, rushed at him in Solomon's portico. Well, that's on the outside. That's, that's the perimeter. A lot of theologians believe it's, it's the entire perimeter around the temple. Some just say that you know, Solomon's porch, and then there's the colonnade, which is the part at the bottom, kind of the bigger one with the, with the taller pillars. And so, uh, so, so how can it be that they entered into the, into the temple, but then now they're rushing at them? I think they let them finish and complete their time of prayer. That, they, that this man, this lame man, was in there, got to be a part of the time of prayer with everyone, and then they came out and were now in Solomon's colonnade. And this is now where we pick up our story, that he was holding on to Peter and John, and all the people, utterly astonished, now rushed at them. Now that the, the time of prayer is, is complete, is done. And they've, everyone's left the, the temple itself, and are now in the temple courts. So this is where we pick up our story. And this is what happens. So this is an opportunity that Peter now has to explain the gospel, really, in essence. This is Peter's message of the utter essence of the gospel message. Repent. <laughs> Repent. Change your thinking. What? And turn around. Now, I've heard it be explained that Repent means to do, like, to turn around, to do a, a 180. But that's not what it means because there's a completely other word that that means. Because if you see in our passage here, it says, what does it say? Um, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made this man walk? Of course, then giving, you know, credit to where credit's due. Um, but if we keep looking here, he says, um, oh, what does he say? Like, repent and turn back, Right? He says, repent and turn back so that times of refreshing can be, can be had. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, but this is what he's saying. Repent, metanoia, change your thinking, and turn back. That's the, this is the whole story of the first covenant is repent and turn back, repent and turn back, repent and turn back. Why? Because they were constantly turning around. They're constantly going and worshiping other gods. No, wanna... And so there's another word that means to turn around. So this is two words. So change your thinking, which leads you to turn around. So to turn back to your God. Because Peter in this message is saying, you have gone so far off the rails with your theology and doctrine that it's, you're worshiping a different God completely. Turn back to the Lord. 
You're following this that is so integrated in trying to keep the status quo with the Romans that you're becoming Roman. You're becoming people who are sacrificing the goodness of our faith for the legalism of our faith, for the rules and the morality and the behavior. And what he's saying, he's not, that's not what the gospel is all about at all. The gospel is about freedom. The gospel is true. It's Jesus' way that he preached when he was on this, on this earth. Turn to that. Let your mind be aligned with Jesus, his way of life. Because why? Because it's true. It is the truth of how we're supposed to interpret this. It's true. And it's also better. It's also sweeter. It's also more fulfilling. And the only way into his eternal and never-ending infinite kingdom with him. The truth of the gospel is living in a renewed kingdom of peace that brings refreshment to the soul. That's what the truth of the gospel is. The truth of the gospel is complete and utter restoration of what was lost in the garden. Today and coming. Restoring creation to complete wholeness. This is the only time in, in the entire Bible where this phrase, you know, complete wholeness, or as I think it says in our, in our CSB here, it says uh, total heal or perfect health. So it means perfect health and then some. So it's, this word you know, has this, the connotation of complete wholeness or fully restored. This, basically, in essence, it's saying total healing. Physical, yes, body, but also soul and also spirit. Like we, like we said, that, that back in the ancient Near East, they, they believed that the person, body, mind, heart, and soul, uh, body, mind, heart, and spirit, were all one being. That's why baptism, because to cleanse the body was to cleanse the spirit, to cleanse the mind, to cleanse the emotions. So they would cleanse, to cleanse one would be to cleanse all, right? And so they were all so interconnected. And so that's what this is meaning, is it's this full res- restoration of the fullness of humanity to this person. So, um, <clears throat> because no structures or efforts of mankind can truly heal anyone like this. Your works can't do this. Paul and, or sorry, Peter and John, pff, they didn't do this. I was like, we didn't do it. Why are you looking at us? Don't like, don't worship us. Worship Yahweh. Worship Jesus. He's the one who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though you had decided to release him. You denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked that you have a murder released to you. You killed the source of life by faith in his name. In his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know so that the faith that comes from Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. So they attribute it to Jesus and not just to Jesus, the person, but the name of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, the power of who he truly is. He said, this it's not us. We didn't heal this man. 
It was Yahweh through the name of Jesus. He really was and is the Messiah, the Prince, or what does it say? The the originator or uh, the source of life. He said, this man standing in front of you that you all know is living, breathing, and walking proof of the fact that Jesus was and is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Look and see. Behold the fulfillment of Scripture. Scriptures like Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then what? The lame will leap like a deer. Which is exactly what's going on here. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This man's healing is the wonder that points to the sign that this is the time that prophetic promises of flourishing and restoration have finally arrived. And they're like, don't miss it. Look, see, behold. Jesus kept saying this. If you read the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew is the great fulfillment book. The book of Matthew was written to Jewish people to show this was done, this was said, this happened to fulfill Scripture, to fulfill Scripture. It's like 40, 50 times in, throughout the book of Matthew, it says, was, was blank to fulfill Scripture. Or was done in this way to fulfill Scripture. And now we have the disciples continuing this way of being This was done. See this. Don't miss it because this is fulfilling Scripture. It's finally arrived. And that the name that healed this man was none other than Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, the source of life. You know, the guy that you killed? You know? You killed the source of life? It's very interesting to think about. The, the, the posture that Peter is taking in this, he's taking a very accusatory stance here. He's wagging the finger for this first paragraph. You did this, you did that. You denied the holy and righteous one. It's interesting, that word deny. He's, he, he uses that word twice. Word denier, denied. The same word Luke also used in Luke, his gospel, to describe what Peter did to Jesus three times the night of his betrayal in the courtyard of the high priests but he received grace he received restoration and this is what peter is offering to them because the next the next section as he said he ends it all up by saying you per- you killed this man you did it you killed the author of life the source of life the prince of life the originator of life itself but what are my two favorite words in the Bible? But God. But God. And he's like, and now, brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance. So it's, he's turning the, the page. He's turning the page into a new way of what? Invitation. He's saying, you did this. You have to recognize what you did. But I know you acted in ignorance. And even the Old Testament, even the first covenant, gives allowances for ignorant sin. And ways to be reconciled with Yahweh 
by offerings, offering guilt offerings for sins that you don't even know that you did. Right? <clears throat> but he says this. He goes and, he, and he's explaining all these things. Therefore, repent and turn back. This is verse 19. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. That seasons or times of refreshment may come. It's an invitation for them to participate in times of or seasons of refreshment. What does it say? From the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. Jesus kept saying these things. This is this is the part of the the, the culture of the early church that is that they you know, we have to we have to see these things as as a continuous story, continue con, not a story but just a continuous narrative, the teachings of Jesus and how they trans transformed into the church into practice when Jesus left, all these things there he's preaching Jesus taught them, and this is the continuation. This is Peter regurgitating what he was taught. You guys remember, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but do you remember our measurables as a church? This transformation, it's all about the imitate, initiate and instigate to imitate someone else. So Peter learned to imitate Jesus. And now he's learning to instigate this faith, instigate this culture that Jesus taught on his own. And then later he will start teaching, like he's now, he's teaching others how to live this culture with them. He's inviting these things. And so he's, you know, he's regurgitating basically that what Jesus is saying, I have told you these things, what, that you, you know, that all these things are going to be happening. This is, this is John chapter 14, or, or John chapter 16. Because you will have suffering in this world. But be cre- courageous. I have conquered the world. You will have suffering in this world. Let that sink in. Does Jesus come to bring warm, warm fuzzies and sunshines and rainbows all the time, 100%, and if you're ever sick or unhappy, it's terrible? Or if someone in your, in your family is suffering or dies, if you get the sniffles, you don't have faith. I've heard that before. In this world, you will have suffering. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Be courageous. What? There will be seasons of refreshment. There will be rhythms of life that you can participate in to have refreshment in your spirit. Times of worship and prayer, communion, fellowship, breaking of bread, and times of joy and blessedness in Christ Jesus and with His kingdom. Breaths of fresh air. I love those times where you know I'm up and I'm on the top of a mountain somewhere, overlooking something. I'm just sitting in my chair and I'm just in God's presence, 
the wind is blowing through the trees. That's one of my favorite things is laying in my hammock and there's a, a gust of wind that blows the trees and you, you, know, you hear the sound of the rustling. Can you just hear it? It's like God's whispering, right? Blowing. I just feel refreshed at peace. Not like times when Gary's you know, sitting in the truck and the wind's blowing the truck, almost blowing the truck over. <laughs> but we were meant, we are meant to look forward to our times together. With each other. That's what gathering as his people is all about. We're meant to look forward to our times on Sunday mornings when we come. And this is supposed to be a, a time of refreshment. Getting together for an act, in our act groups and relationship, Bible studies. Going out to dinner, inviting each other over for, for meals and fellowship. These are seasons and times of refreshment that are meant. Yes, it takes work. Yes, it takes an emotional toll on us some, you know, for introverts, right? My wife is one of those. <laughs> it, it takes a, a you know, it's, but it's worth it. Things that are worth anything are worth your time and effort. They're worth your energy to come and be partake in a time of refreshment. Though they cost you and you have to, you'll have to maybe go home and, and you know, sit and refill for a week by yourself. I'm starting to learn how to speak introvert. So, <laughs> so, so. But it's, it's in a good way. Like it's how do we minister one to another? What are your needs? What are your needs? Right? How can we minister to each other's needs so that they can truly be times of refreshment and not just a drag? Sure. So that they give life. They breathe refreshment. Because that's what they're they're supposed to be all about. Seeing every opportunity as a chance for a time and season of refreshment. Every time we have people over for dinner, how can this be a time of refreshment? Encouragement. Enjoying one another and the Lord together. Life in this world, we will one day get to enjoy forever. I'm sorry, life in this world, the seasons of refreshment, and then the promise of the worlds to come that we will enjoy forever. Tastes of the life to come. That's what you know, creating these times together of, of refreshment are. It is, in essence, our taste of the life to come. How do we manifest the eternal kingdom today? The coming together of heaven and earth. And the word I would use to describe this would be blessing. Blessing, as, it's def- as I would define it, the happiness that God-given security and prosperity produce. This is what times of season and refreshment are. These are times to bless, where you are blessed and are a blessing. These are the happiness that, 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 time, that God-given security and prosperity produce. <laughs> this is where you how are you? Oh, I'm blessed. I used to be a judge, be like, Stop saying that. But now I'm like, oh, how are you? Well, I have happiness that God-given security and, and prosperity are producing in my life right now. Yeah, I'm pretty darn blessed. 
And I'm here this morning seeking this. And now I, this morning I'm, I'm with the church. I'm with my brothers and my sisters and Jesus. And I'm happy because I have that God-given security and prosperity that God, that this produces. This encouragement in my spirit. So this is not a way to use this word. Oh, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed. We don't use it as a mask. But maybe sometimes we need it as a reminder. Maybe we're not necessarily feeling blessed, but when you say the words, oh, I'm blessed, it's a reminder. Wow. You know what? I really am blessed. And then you start like looking around everyone, and you're like, oh, yeah, I've got my family. This is my church family. This is the ones that I love. This is the ones that God loves. And this is who he's brought me together with today. Blessing is God's kingdom being manifest on this world. It's God's kingdom manifestation. Verses 22 through 26. This is... This is what he's talking about. This whole coming, coming of the Messiah is blessing to the world. Is God manifesting what his tov, his goodness, right? Tov meaning goodness, which also associates to shalom, which also associates to justice. They're all very similar words and they also assimilate with blessing as well. Blessing is the happiness that, that, that the state of shalom and tov bring. A state of blessedness. It is the fulfillment of, you know, Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. We're supposed to be blessed and to be a blessing. The church is meant to be a blessing. God's people have always been called to be a blessing. That's what the fulfillment of scripture is here. Like looking at uh, verse 25, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. This is talking to Abraham talking to the forefather, and even like the prophecy from Moses, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. So what he's saying here is that there are consequences if you are not a blessing. If you don't believe in the one whom I'm sending to be a prophet like Moses, which is Jesus, then you will be completely cut off. He's saying this is the continuation of the covenant. This is fulfilling the ultimate covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. In this way, through Jesus Christ, Yahweh will bless the entire world through his new and renewed kingdom. This is what he's saying. This is not some other faith. This is not something new. It's the continuation. It's the fulfillment of what our faith for these last 2,000 years has supposed to have been about. So now we're living 2,000 years removed from that. We are in the midst of the new and renewed kingdom, the, the continuation, the fulfilled kingdom covenant of Abraham. The first, this, this, this first, however, for you to enter into this and to be a blessing requires repentance, changing your mind about God and even your entire theological understanding of who we thought the Messiah was going to be, right? You wouldn't have been able to see it. No one did. 
Not even us, the, the apostles who were with him for three years. None of us saw it. None of us were able to articulate it. None of us saw the crucifixion coming. We had no concept of that, even though he told us like three bajillion times. <laughs> the coming of the Messiah, of God's Messiah, the redemption of mankind, and the way in which he would go about it was shrouded from everyone. Not even Satan and his followers knew it. Do you think they would have done what they did by killing Jesus if they would have understood that it was the method by which it would cause their own destruction and cause the ultimate demise and loss of their control in this world? Do you think they would have done that? No, they think that they thought they were succeeding. They're like, oh, yes. But this is now, you know, but now it is clear and understood. Because hindsight is what? 2020. 2020. I always look back at 2020 and, you know, all the people like making these prophecies. Oh, yeah, this is, the, this is going to be the year of insight. This is going to be the, the year that God changes the world. This is going to be the year of, of, you know, vision. And I'm like, looking back now, I'm like, yes, but not in the way that you thought. <laughs> it was indeed the year that God would indeed change the world or allow it to be changed by evil. But God, again, what uses all things will, will, he will um, create good. He will use all things for good. So he used what Satan deemed and wanted to use for evil, and he turned it in many ways for good. But all this is a big theme of what Peter was doing in these first two sermons and would continue teaching. This was, what, this was the message that Paul would take into the synagogues all around the known world. We were wrong about the Messiah. For all these years, Jesus truly is the Messiah. And here are the reasons why. We say the Messiah was indeed supposed to suffer. But we, we have misread and misunderstood the scriptures for generations. For generations. I know it's not your fault. We didn't get it. Your daddy didn't get it. Your grandpappy didn't get it. Your great, 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 great grandpappy pappy didn't get it either. We passed down a wrong understanding of scripture. And that's no fault of your own. Jesus was indeed the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53. Not us. They, Israel thought that that was supposed to be them. They still think that that's supposed to be them. That they are the suffering servant. Even though, it's interesting, Israel is always referred to as, a, as in the feminine. Like nations and people groups are always defined as, as the feminine. You know, Jerusalem, she up on a hill, right? Her up on a hill. But he never talks about the servant in, a, in the feminine. It's always the masculine. It's always a male messiah. The suffering servant was the Messiah. Jesus is the, Mo, Mo, the Moses-like prophet of Deuteronomy 18, which he quotes there in, in verse 22. Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham of Genesis 12, which he quotes there in uh, verse 25. In this way, Jesus perfectly embodied the revelation of God and fulfilled all the law and the prophets. Here's his point. 
Peter's point, if we, you know, like I have the, the point of, you know, the, you know, it's always a good day to, to, uh, to speak truth. Right? That, that's my point here this morning. Here's Peter's point. In, is that true Israelites? Hey, guys, if you're a true Israelite, if you're of the, the line and lineage of, of, of Jacob, you know, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, if you're true Israelites, you will see and believe in Jesus. If you don't, you ain't a true Jew. If you ain't, you ain't Jewish. You will, they will see and believe in Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom. And if they don't, you will be completely cut off from Israel. Like our ancestors in the exile. They were exiled back then and he's, gonna, he's about to exile you today. Which he was about to. Stuff was going to hit the proverbial fan. Those who believe and follow God's Messiah will be blessed. And then he gives an invitation. Here's Peter's invitation. Repent! Change your minds. Change your minds and turn back. His invitation to them was that it's okay to confess that you might not have had the right view of God in the Bible. But it comes down to this. Are you willing to change your mind, repent, when confronted with the true scripture and the true lens through which to view the scripture? Even for us today in the church, we must be constant and continual learners. We cannot believe that we have it all right. That we have a total and complete understanding. Oh yes, I have got my perfect theology and no one's going to change my mind. I mean, I have a, again, I've got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. I mean, that's nothing compared to my, my friend who we call him uh, is it Master, Master, pa- Master, Master, Dr. Pastor Matt. <laughs> He's got, you know, two master's degrees, a doctoral degree, and, but in Christian theology. And yet I'm still learning. I'm always learning, changing, shifting, growing, maturing. But it's, it's a weird juxtaposition as well, because at the same time, there's the element where, where we know what and where we must take a stand in what we believe. And we'll talk about that next week. Where to stand. What hill to maybe even literally die on. That we will never change our minds. That we will never uproot that pillar. That is marked in the sand. Marked, marked it's down to the bedrock. Ain't, it ain't going anywhere. So that we will no longer be, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, no longer be chill, little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every kind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head. The goal for always being willing to learn is to grow more into the head, into Christ. We have to be constant learners. We have to hold what we think we know lightly, loosely. This is why the crowds who came to faith in Jesus joined the other 3,000 from the previous day and what is it? devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They needed to learn an entirely new paradigm for understanding the first covenant that Jesus himself taught them for 40 days. 
after his resurrection. You think about it. He spent three weeks with the disciples, as he did, you know, as he did with the you know the two on the road to Emmaus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He what interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. So Jesus himself taught the, the people on the road to Emmaus a complete new paradigm to understand the Bible from. And they were like, holy cow, what have I been believing my entire life? This is like an entirely new Bible. They all acted in ignorance in their old interpretation of the scriptures and Messiah. So to continue in this ignorance after his resurrection is now to be in direct opposition to Yahweh himself. So now that he has been preaching to them about this, about Jesus and the fulfillment as the Messiah, if they reject him, they're rejecting the Yahweh they claim to serve. They're rejecting the God who they, who they claim is in the temple. And because they, of course, reject that, they're showing that Yahweh's presence actually isn't in the temple anymore. The veil has been torn. He's gone. In fact, he never actually came back after the, the first temple was destroyed. Not once in the Bible did it say, ever say that God's spirit came back after the first temple was destroyed, after he left in Ezekiel. So really, they built just another empty temple. They didn't even have the Ark of the Covenant anymore. So God's presence didn't come back in the temple until Jesus. And then in the all fruition through the Holy Spirit. And then what happened right after that? It just, they spread out. All the people that came to faith in Jesus that morning of, 3,000 know, 3, the day before, and then or the, the morning of, and then 2,000 that afternoon. 2,000, not three. 2,000. So now we've got 5,000 people, at least men, if not counting women and children, who now, after they spend a while in Jerusalem devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, learning this new paradigm, are going to be sent and spread out and, and automatically, right away, fulfill Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all of Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. He's going to fulfill that within the first couple weeks of the church being in existence. To re- reject it is now to be in direct opposition to God himself. People walk through this life ignorantly in their sin. That's the real state of it. They do that which is natural to them because they have a dead spirit. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Can we have compassion on those people instead of judgment and, and ostracization? I need to keep myself clean from you. Yes, let's keep ourselves clean from the ways of the world. But how do we approach those who are walking in ignorance because they're dead spiritually? We need to share with them the reality of their need to also repent of sins and to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And then to live in opposition to Jesus after hearing the gospel is now deliberate sin. If you don't repent and remain in the state of unbelief, living for yourself, you will not experience these times or seasons of refreshment. Your life will only experience the best life you can make of it. Rather than the refreshing life, the refreshing life 
that Jesus can make of it. Not that you can make of it, that Jesus can make of your life. Anyone who turns from the life they've been living for themselves and their view of Scripture when confronted with the truth and lives their lives for God through faith and allegiance in the name of Jesus Christ, they can partake of the refreshment and, res- and the restoration of all things. And here's where I want, where I want to land this, land this here this morning. As it says in verse 21, heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. This is the resurrection of all of God's, pe- God's people. This is the restoration of all those who are, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the, the full restoration Jesus has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father in his glory. This is why we'll get to in, later on in, uh, in, uh, when, when Stephen preaches. Stephen will later be killed for claiming that Jesus is at the right hand of, the, of God and that uh, he has been elevated on high until the time of the restoration of all things. This is something that the church has stood in from the very beginning the belief in the resurrection, the belief in the restoration of all things in the resurrection. This is our faith and our hope and our joy. The restoration of all things. This is why we can have peace in this. Think about this. This is why we can have peace. This is why we can have hope in times of suffering. This is why we don't mourn like the rest of the world when someone, as the Bible says, it falls asleep or you know, dies. This is why we can join together for teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Because we have faith in the restoration of all things. We have faith in the resurrection. That even though we die, even though we, as the Bible says, fall asleep, that we will wake up in the resurrection, that we will be with him and reign with him. We're not scratching and scraping to try to get the most out of life or, live in, live, or try to live in my best life. We live by faith in the Son of God, living in a better kingdom, looking forward to the restoration of a better kingdom. As it says in Revelation 21, then I saw a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. That's the great restoration of all things. There it is. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. 
The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son or daughter. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. That's why it's always a good day to speak truth. Because we want people to enjoy that. We want to invite people like Peter was. Invite all people to participate. To be able to come and drink from the streams, from the springs of the waters of life. To eat from the tree of life. To enjoy the restoration of all things with us, the church. This is the goodness of the testimony that we bring to people. It's not a system of rules and regulations and behavior modification. A system of morality that we judge and condemn people by if they don't live by it. It's an invitation to goodness. It's an invitation to blessing. It's an invitation to times and seasons of refreshment and the great restoration of all things. So especially today, it's always Always, always a good day to speak truth. To do good, to speak truth. And then the next time we're in Acts chapter 4, we'll talk about this, the message that it's always a good day to stand firm. And we'll be there in, in here in a couple of weeks. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the word and the testimony that you've put into our mouths. God, help us to unleash it. Help us not to keep it tied in, kept in and, and bottled up, but help us to share it, God. Give us opportunities to share our testimony, to share our faith, so that others may come and partake of the same springs of the water of life that we get to drink from every day. Lord, Give us opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Give us gumption, Lord, to speak boldly, to proclaim boldly the goodness of the gospel. Lord, let us always see that every opportunity, every day, every moment is a good day. I have always a good day to speak truth, Lord, of your refreshment and the great hope of the restoration of all things. Remind us of that goodness and that eternity daily. Remind us of the goodness of the eternal kingdom and seasons of refreshment that we get to participate in every day by coming into your presence and having relationship with one another in the church. We love you, God. And for Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.